All right. This summer we're looking at the Gospel of John. Different sayings from the Gospel of John. And tonight we're on John 3.16. Whoever believes in the Son. And Brother Lamont Ross is with us. He holds an, a master's in Master of Arts in Theological Studies from the Austin Graduate School of Theology. He received that after receiving a degree from University of Texas at Austin in Communication Studies. And now even has gone on to a degree in professional counseling from Amberton University. Uh, Brother Ross has also served on the NAACP National Board of Directors and was also a founding president of the NAACP College Chapter at the University of Texas. He's a native of Dallas, graduating from Skyline High School. He's married to Tracy. I mean, Stacy. A little off there. Sorry about that. He's married to Stacy. Get it right. They have three children, one of which is with him tonight, but is upstairs with the kiddos. I asked him, do you want to listen to your dad or do you want to go have fun with kids? And he opted to go have fun with the kids for some reason. I don't know why. So, Brother Ross, come on up here and let's talk. Good evening, brothers and sisters. What a blessing it is to be here with you at the MacArthur Park Church of Christ. I'm humbled by the invitation to come share in your summer series as you look at In Jesus' Name. And just have enjoyed getting to meet and getting to know Brother Brother Brown here and his wife. And yes, my, my son did... Uh, opt not to hear me preach something he's going to hear me preach later. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he gets to hear me all the time. So, uh, But we, we are in uh, John 3.16 on this evening. Uh, John 3.16. It may be tempting for you not to even turn there. All right, but we're, we're going to actually start in verse number 14, John chapter 3, beginning at verse number, number 14. It's good to just look over the audience and see some uh, familiar faces. Uh, I spent some time in Austin and uh, real uh, familiar with uh, some of the uh, folks in Austin who are, are here and uh, from uh, San Antonio uh, as we had fellowship with the Delcrest Congregation while I was in Austin, so good to see some uh, friendly faces, and I'm used to people talking back to me when when, when I preach, and uh, so uh, so so I I, I know there's there some cultural differences where uh, you know the, the amen comes at the very 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 end, uh, but if you want to say amen along the way, that's perfectly perfectly fine with me. All right, uh, John chapter three, uh, verses fourteen through 16. I'll be reading from the uh, NIV. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish or perish, 
but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son. What is the greatest gift you've received? What's the best gift you've received? Just, just think about that for a moment. What's the best gift that you have ever received? Or uh, what's the most loving thing uh, that someone has ever done for you? Uh, the, one of the best gifts that I received was a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in San Francisco for our 10th wedding anniversary, and we happened to be in San Francisco when the Dallas Mavericks were in town to play the Golden State Warriors. Uh, And, you know, the Warriors had won their championship, and uh, so that means tickets were hard to come by, and those that were available were like $200 a piece to sit way up there where the concessions man doesn't even want to come. All right. Uh, so so I, I have a friend who has a cousin who is a writer for the newspaper in the Oakland area, and he covers the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and that, that 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 cousin of my friend did not know me, but he knew I was a, a Church of Christ minister. And he was also part of the body of Christ. And uh, he, he knew that. Uh, we were in town uh, trying to get away for our anniversary, so he gifted us two tickets to this Mavericks versus Golden State Warriors game. Uh, just gave them to us. Didn't, one of the best gifts we've ever received. Now, now Dirk didn't play that night, so you know the Mavericks did not win. Uh, but it was a, a, great, a great gift. In thinking about the most loving thing someone can do, uh, I think of, of organ donors. And, uh, I know have a have a friend who needed a kidney, and his wife was a match, and so she donated her kidney to uh, my elementary, middle school, and high school friend. We were uh, in school together ever since we were in uh, first grade, and. Uh, his wife donated a kidney. Most loving thing someone could, could do. But even the best gifts, even the most loving acts are temporary. They are temporary. Uh, now, I only have the memory of that basketball game. Those tickets, they serve their purpose that Wednesday night in January in 2016, Uh, but I can't use those tickets anymore. It was temporary. Uh, Even if you receive a new car, it's temporary. New cars get old, uh, and they start wearing out and and breaking down. Uh, Even if someone donates an an organ, it's temporary. Uh, At some point, we die, and uh, those organs can no longer be, be utilized. Even the best gifts are temporary, but God has provided us an eternal gift. God has provided us a gift uh, 
that must be accessed in this temporary space in which we live, but its benefits are everlasting. Its benefits are eternal. And in a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus, Jesus reveals a simple yet profound truth that has become the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. Quote it with me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most quoted verse in all of Scripture. Uh, But interestingly, uh, the most quoted verse is probably one of the least preached from verses in Scripture. I know you have a a great minister, a great uh, ministry staff here, uh, and perhaps he's preached on John 3.16, but I I must admit that uh, I've I've never preached from John 3.16. I I quote it often, but never never preached from it. And oddly enough, until I went to a funeral yesterday, I could not remember ever hearing anyone preach from John 3.16. One of the most quoted, the most quoted verse in all of Scripture, but it's one we don't hear very many sermons about. But in this exchange with Nicodemus, Jesus brings light to the darkness of Nicodemus' understanding. Jesus communicates spiritual truths about the kingdom of God, Yet Nicodemus has a difficult time wrapping his mind around these spiritual realities. So Jesus challenges what Nicodemus thought he knew. Nicodemus was not some shade tree theologian. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was somebody. He was a man of standing and status. He was an educated man, a religious man, yet he needed greater understanding in spiritual matters. Uh, There's always a need for greater understanding of spiritual matters. And it is critical that we remain teachable. It does not matter how long you've been a part of the body of Christ. It does not matter how much uh, biblical education we possess or how many times we've read through the Bible. There are still more treasures to be uncovered in the word of God. And so to help Nicodemus understand these spiritual realities, Jesus starts with what Nicodemus knows And uses what Nicodemus knows to teach him about what he does not know. That's a great didactic strategy from the master teacher, Jesus, to start with what people know and use what they know to teach them to bridge to what they do not know. Start with the physical to teach the spiritual. Start with the concrete to teach the abstract. And in this text, in these three verses, there are three demonstrations of love 
found in the text that we want to briefly highlight on this evening. First, in verses 14 and 15, there is an illustration from God. There's an illustration from God. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus uses a scriptural illustration to communicate the greatest truth ever communicated to humanity. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man, and here he says that the Son of Man must be lifted up. This title was used prophetically in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and it refers there to the one who would receive a kingdom, who would receive glory and dominion from God, the Ancient of Days. And so in Daniel, the text speaks prophetically of Jesus receiving a kingdom, dominion, and glory from the Ancient of Days. Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, to express his divinity, his preexistence, his heavenly origin, his earthly mission, and his glorious future coming. And in John's gospel, son of man and son of God are titles that are, in essence, used interchangeably. And so when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, he is not saying that he is a man born or a son born to a man, but he is this prophetic, uh, this figure that was prophesied about in the book of Daniel. He is the son of God who will be given a kingdom, glory, and dominion. And in his illustration, Jesus makes reference to an incident recorded in Numbers 21 verses four through nine. Numbers 21, verses four through nine. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against Moses and against, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert. There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Here Moses interceded for the sins of the people. 
the, the bronze snake, God used an unconventional way to bring life and healing to those who were bitten. Uh, putting this bronze snake up on a pole, uh, when, 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 you, when you think about it, why would the snake be up on a pole? Why would the snake be lifted up? Well, if you are in a camp, in an area full of people, the snake has to be high enough for people to see it. Uh, and so when people would look upon this snake uh, that was lifted up, this bronze serpent that was lifted up, uh, those who looked upon it, who had been bitten by a serpent, would be healed. And so the snake had to be high enough uh, so that people could see it in order to be healed. And there was an element of faith involved, uh, because on, on the surface it does not make sense. You, you, you mean uh, a snake bites me on my hand, and you're not going to do, to do anything to my hand, what you're going to do is tell me to look at this a bronze snake and all of a sudden my hand will be healed. The venom will not course through my body and kill me. So there is an element of faith. You have to believe in the effectiveness of the snake in order to look at the snake. If you don't think it's effective, you would not look at it. And so there was faith involved and looking at the bronze serpent reversed the effects of being bitten by a venomous serpent. Uh, so Jesus says uh, that just like Moses lifted up uh, the snake, uh, the bronze snake in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Uh, the son of man had to be lifted up. Jesus said it must happen. It had to happen. There was no way around it. And when Jesus talks about being lifted up, it is a euphemism for a crucifixion. It is also a reference to his exalted status that would be coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What, what a strange comparison on the surface, but when you think about it, it makes sense. Because the sacrifice of Jesus reverses the damage caused by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up so that those who look upon him with obedient eyes can experience life beyond compare. Jesus, like Moses, interceded for the people. He, he stepped in for us to remove the effects of sin, and through his death, we have life, life beyond this age. The Son of Man, Jesus, must have been crucified. And so he says uh, that he, he did this so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, Jesus reversed the effects of being bitten by the serpent, if you will. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Jesus uses this 
illustration from Scripture to teach this profound truth that the Son of Man had to be crucified in order to bring life to all of those who would look upon him with obedient eyes. And so we see an illustration from God. And in John 3.16, we see the initiative of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why was the Son of Man lifted up? For God so loved the world. Why was Jesus crucified? So that life could become accessible to all of those who believe. Why was he crucified? It was the unparalleled, unprecedented, incomparable, unconditional love of God that sent Jesus on his mission of redemption and reconciliation. The God who created the world and all that is in it did not abandon his creation when man sinned. He did not abandon his creation, although time and time again his creation abandoned him. God took the initiative in salvation because we were not in a position to bargain with God. We were not in a position to save ourselves. We were without hope until God moved. And so we see the radical nature of God's love, God's affection. God's care and concern for his creation is so strong that he would allow his one and only son to be lifted up on the cross so that humanity could be lifted up above our sins. Now, this term only begotten, uh, some religious groups look at this to say that Jesus was uh, birth, the son of God was a birth by God, but, but only begotten uh, really is a phrase that distinguishes between Christ as the only son of God uh, and the many children of God, which we are. Uh, the son did not become a son, but he was so in the beginning with God. Uh, the term only begotten or one and only son is descriptive of the kind of sonship that Christ possesses. He is the one of a kind, unique son of God. He is the son of God based on his position. And so he is uh, different from any being who has existed because he enjoys this relationship with the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his unique, one-of-a-kind son. Now let that, let that sink in uh, for, for a moment. Uh, where, where are my parents? Where are my parents? Any Any, any parents? Any grandparents? Now, if you're a grandparent, you have to be a parent first, right? <laughs> so, so I saw some, some people, they, they didn't put up their hand for parent, but they put up their hand for grandparent. <laughs> All right. 
So, so, so here's the thing about being a parent. As a dad, I would rather hurt than to see my child hurt. When my child is sick, any, any of my three children, when, when any of them are sick, I would rather for it to be me. My, my, my daughter broke her wrist and uh, she had to be in a cast and uh, she had to miss some activities in school and uh, she, she couldn't play, play sports and uh, it, it hurt me to see her hurt. I, I would have traded places with her if I could have. And so no, no parent wants to see their child hurt. So think about what the father did. He loved us enough to put himself in a position to see the Son of God hurt. He he, he did that not because we deserved it. He did it because he loved us. The love that God has for humanity is so great that he would regard those who fail him, who disappoint him, who deny him, who mock him, ignore him, disobey him, curse him, despise him, and reject him. He would regard us as worth saving. Love is so much a part of the character of God that it can be used as a defining attribute of his nature. God is love. God loves so much that he was willing to be separated from the one who had existed with him in perfect unity and oneness since before the world began. God the Father allowed his son to suffer injustice, humiliation, beatings, and the excruciating agony of crucifixion so that the world could have life beyond this life. Here we see the audacity of God's love manifested by God's grace. The audacity of love to love the unlovable and reach the unreachable. To forgive all sins, to to, to look beyond our faults, our flaws, and our failures and see our future. God's love saves people that we don't think deserve saving. God's love forgives people who have done what we think is unforgivable. God's love blesses people who we believe ought to be cursed. Romans 5, 6, and 8 tells us, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will, it, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The, the, the initiative of God. Why would God go through such great lengths and take such radical measures to give life to the world? Because God believes you're worth it. 
Created in his image. He believes that we are worth it. God's act of love lets us know that we are worth it. We are important enough to redeem. You are valuable enough to save. God took the initiative in salvation while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, That's the invitation from God. Whosoever believes in the son, God took the initiative, but humanity has to be willing to accept God's invitation For salvation. You have to take possession of what God has provided. You must have faith in the only begotten Son of God, in the one and only unique Son of God, if you want to experience the life that God has available for you. God sent his son so that his son could give humanity the best life possible, that is eternal life. Those who accept God's invitation will not perish, but will have life beyond this life. Uh, that's, that's good news to those who have faith in the Son of God, who have completed their obedience by obeying the gospel. Whoever believes in Jesus experiences new birth, has eternal life, and is saved. Think about the alternative to eternal life. Uh, It is to perish, to be doomed to destruction, to have no hope. There is no middle ground. There is no third option. Uh, Belief, obedient belief in the Son of God brings life. When we fail to come to faith in Jesus, the result is destruction. We must accept God's invitation if we are to receive the benefits of God's love. Uh, the, the, The invitation is available to everyone, but you have to accept the invitation. Uh, It's as if uh, someone, uh, when uh, a, a restaurant says, we're giving away free food, you can't stay at your house and get the free food. Uh, when Chick-fil-A has cow appreciation day, uh, you have to dress up like a cow, go to Chick-fil-A to get your food. The invitation is open for everyone, but you have to take advantage of the opportunity that is being presented. You have to accept the invitation if you want the benefits that come with Cow Appreciation Day. And so you have to accept God's invitation to believe in his son if you want the benefit of eternal life. God's invitation is for everyone. Whoever believes in the Son has 
eternal life. New life comes after new birth. And it is incumbent upon us as Christians to see everyone that we encounter as worth it. The CEO and the custodian are both worth it. The man begging on the street corner is is worth it. The, the, The prisoner locked up behind bars is worth it. The administrators, faculty, and staff at your child's or grandchild's school, they are worth it. Your child's classmates and their parents are worth it. Drug addicts and their suppliers are worth it. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, agnostics, skeptics, and atheists are all worth it. Lesbians, gays, bisexual, transgenders, questioning, they're all worth it. Republicans, Democrats, independents, and those who couldn't care less are all worth it. Those who are in the country legally are worth it. Those who are in the country illegally are also worth it. Whoever believes in the Son can have life. We have to know and believe that everyone that we encounter is worth it. Because we were all once on the outside. We were all once a part of the world And we all have a testimony that says, I used to be and still would be, but God saved me. I'm grateful for that testimony. I used to be and I still would be, but God saved me. Somebody thought I was worth it. Somebody loved me enough to share the truth of the gospel with me. Someone uh, thought that salvation was available even to me. They thought I was not beyond the reach of God. See, we once were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, we who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, We all uh, were worth it. We all are worth it. And we must see our fellow man as worth it. Uh, For we haven't been saved all of our lives. We were not born into the church. We had to be reborn in order to access the kingdom of God. Even if our parents were part of the body of Christ, we had to come to faith ourselves because God does not have any grandchildren. He only has children. Uh, We were once counted among the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we have been washed. We've been sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The message of the initiative and invitation of God has been entrusted to us, the children of God. 
God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were speaking through us, we should be pleading with the world to be reconciled to God because the world is worth it. God thought enough of the world to believe that the world was worth saving. And so we must believe that the world is worth it for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You're worth it. 